Well, good morning and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel this morning. My name is Mark Duncan. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're so thankful that you have chosen to worship with us this morning as we continue on in our Glad Tidings series, uh, focusing on this Advent season that we're in. That, that word Advent just means an expectation, a waiting uh, for a coming. And at Christmas time, certainly we are waiting and remembering the coming of Jesus Christ as he came on that that. Night announced by the angels, born in, uh, in that stable, put into that manger, and the beginning of what he set into play uh, when he brought, uh, when he came into the world. But also remembering, like, there's a part of that that is not fully realized yet, and someday it will be. We've already talked about, we've, we've already have candles here lit today that represent God's love and how the, the love that was shown to us in Christ, the love that we understand uh, when we have seen how much God loved us and gave his son for us. And then joy as well, the, the joy that we experience with new life in Jesus Christ because of what he's done. And today, we're going to focus on this idea, this word peace. It's kind of a loaded word, uh, peace. We have a lot, of different, a lot of different things we transfer onto that word, a lot of different expectations. I just want to remind you of the words that the angels said that night to the shepherds uh, outside of Bethlehem. The, the angel of the Lord said to them, this is from Luke 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A lot of times we stop with that part, right? Like That's the baby, right? Describing where to find him. But he keeps going. Suddenly there's with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or you might have heard, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We heard that part at the end there, that, that peace on earth part. It carries a, a, lot of, a lot of different things for us. A lot of times we read through that and we say, well, that's just kind of like the angel's way of like blessing what's just happening here. Kind of like the stamp of approval. Look, peace to you all. Greetings. This is a good thing. Now go see that baby. But they're saying something very profound in that moment. I love that the way that the, the ESV translates that when it says, peace among those with whom we are well pleased. We're very familiar perhaps of the, the name uh, of Jesus used in the book of Isaiah, Emmanuel. You hear that name this time of year. Emmanuel. We know that means God with us, God present with us. And so some of the same language in that verse when the angels are saying, peace is with those with whom he is well pleased. The angels aren't just, you know, speaking calm words over the shepherds. Peace, good feelings, brotherhood, calmness on the earth tonight. Something amazing has happened. No, they're saying peace has arrived. He's here among us. Go and see him. What does that peace look like? You can go ahead and be turning to the book of Micah, chapter 5. Micah in the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament prophets get a picture for what this peace looks like and how we can experience that peace. While you're doing that, I just want to speak to some of the different ways we use that word peace, our expectations put upon that. Here's one that you can maybe relate to. If you are a parent, if you've been a parent for any length of time, I imagine you have had a moment like this, okay? You have, it's been a bad day, you're, at your, you're on your last nerve, all right, the kid, your kid just, they know exactly what buttons to push, don't they? I mean, it's amazing. It's almost like they, they have some of our personality in them. They know exactly what to say to, to get us off kilter. Have you ever had a moment where you're just kind of like, listen, 
go to your room. Daddy needs to have a little peace and quiet, okay? Just go to your room. I need to have some peace. What am I actually saying in that moment, all right? Go away. I just need to be by myself, all right? Daddy needs to calm down a bit, all right? Maybe that's a good thing, right? <laughs> you know, maybe it's a good thing to calm down. Well, there's a different word for it. If you're a person going on vacation, you might hear someone say, I need to get away for a little peace. So get away for a week, experience a little peace. What am I saying in that? That's a little, that'd be a little bit different. It's like I have expectations of leaving my burdens behind. Leave the office, leave my job. Those things will be fine. I'm not going to be thinking about those at all. And I'm going to go and get away and have a little me time, all right? I'm going to get some relaxation in, maybe go get a massage. This is going to be about me, peace, right? I'm going to pamper myself. Here's one that maybe hits a little close to home this time of year. What are you traveling over in the car to grandma's house? And maybe you had a conversation that goes like this. We had a few of these growing up. Please, whatever you do, please keep it civil tonight, okay? Don't bring up this topic. Don't talk about what this guy did. Don't share this thing with your grandma. Don't talk about what happened last year. Just go there, eat your food, open your presents, and we'll get out of there, okay? I mean, you all are laughing, so I know you've been there, right? Okay, what are you saying to that? We just need to have a little peace. What are you actually saying? You're not really wanting peace. What are you wanting? You wanted to lie and keep your mouth shut, okay, and just get out of there. That's going to work better for everyone. That's, that's, that's a little true. I have an, have an idea, though, that someone that lives in a war-torn part of the world maybe has a different idea, a different explanation, expectation on peace, right? You see... Their house destroyed and friends that they know that have been killed and it's a constant you know, threat of bombs falling and attack. When they say, when will there be peace? They're not asking for a little me time. Uh, they're, they're expecting, when is the, the, the threat of danger going to go away? When can I go outside my door and not worry that something's going to happen to me or my family? When can I go to bed at night and have a full night's sleep? Different expectation. Even use the word peaceful. When you look at a, a newborn baby, and you're like, oh, isn't that baby so peaceful and cute? Right? What are we meaning in that? It's like it's gentle. It's calm. So we have a lot of different definitions for peace, don't we? The problem is we don't experience all of those at the same time. Okay? And then we come to realize that each of those different, those expectations we put on peace are very temporary kind of things. Right, your parents, you know, your kids' reality check, they're, they're going to be just as noisy and rambunctious tomorrow probably as they were today. All right, so having that five minutes alone to yourself to calm down isn't going to stop it from happening again tomorrow. It's going to come. It's going to happen. You go on vacation, you have a week maybe off, guess what? You're going to have to go back to work the next week. I'm sorry, that's not what you want to hear, but that's what you got to do, Right? And the unfortunate part is, it's like your coworkers work against you when you're on vacation, and they leave a bunch of extra stuff for you when you get back, and you're like, what in the world, right? Like, that's the reality. Not my coworkers, I have good coworkers. Um, holiday family party, you go there, maybe you can keep your mouth shut, but that doesn't solve the strife in the family. You just left with a few extra presents and maybe a few extra pounds, but the problem is still there. Nothing's been accomplished. And unfortunately, that nation at war, there may be peace in a particular situation, but there's another conflict right right around the corner. And unfortunately, those cute babies don't stay very cute and peaceable for very long. Ask a new new parent 
You know, if they get a lot of sleep at night, you know, take that baby home. You know, our experience tells us peace isn't something that's lasting. That's what our experience tells us. You know, so when these angels are saying to these shepherds, peace on earth among those with whom he is well pleased, we transfer whatever our experience of peace is upon that. You know, like peace, yeah, it must be peace for that night, right? Okay, it's a peaceful night. It's calm. No. They're saying final peace is here and he walks among you. We don't see that. We feel dis- that feels disconnected from our day-to-day. So what do we do? We work to try to make our own peace. Like if no one's going to fix this, I'm going to have to look out for myself. I'm going to have to make this peace happen. You know what the Bible calls that? It's a term for us today. It calls striving. That's, that's the word. We're striving. Come straight out of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. The author says, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all of it is vanity and a striving after the wind. Trying to make peace on my terms and my own strength, striving after something I can never quite get my hands on. It feels unattainable. It's like maybe in this area of my life, things seem to be calm at the moment, but over here there's a storm raging, so I go over here and I strive and I throw whatever I can at it to get it to work, but now this thing is out of whack again, so I go back over here, chasing something I can't quite get my hands on. I'm striving. With that, those angels came to say that night, and what we're going to look at in the book of Micah this morning is that there is a lasting peace. That peace had come to dwell with man that night. Would you read with me in, in Micah chapter 5, verse number 1? We're going to read the first five verses, so hang with me here. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. And this word peace that we translate peace in our English Bibles. In Hebrew, in the original language it was written, it's actually the word shalom. Actually the word shalom. There it is in Hebrew and in English. And this carries a much deeper significance than simply be at peace in all the different ways that we see that. Shalom speaks to a completeness. It speaks to the fact that there is something broken, there's something missing, there's something that there, all the parts are not in the place yet. Now, can we all agree that we sense that in our hearts, in our beings right now? We realize it. It doesn't take much effort to look around our world and see things are not the way that they should be. There are missing pieces everywhere. There are missing pieces in me. And so when he's saying they will be, he will be their peace, he's saying he will be the completeness of them. He will fill in all of those gaps. He will make the wrongs right. He will be their shalom. He will be their wholeness. It's not simply a lack of conflict. It's actually a lot bigger than that. It's the absence of all elements that could even contribute to any of those things. It's not simply like he'll fix the problems. He can bring a newness and a wholeness to it that there's no element of problem causing at all. It's completely gone. That's what he says when he will be their peace. 
And that shalom was not found in activity. It was found in a someone. That's the message that the angels were saying that night when they're saying peace has come. And that someone is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And today, as we look through this passage, I want you to remember one thing, one key thing. I experience the peace of God, that shalom, when I'm satisfied with my Savior, not when I'm striving for my own security. I experience the peace of God when I'm satisfied with my Savior, not when I'm striving for my own security. I'll look back to uh, verse number one here in Micah 5. Muster your troops, daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. I need to give you a little background information on what, what is happening in this book of Micah. This is uh, the time in, in Israel's history where the kingdoms are separated. The is- Israel is in the north and Judah is in the south. And Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, is, is where this is kind of all going down. And at this time, there is a siege against Israel. It's a guy named Sennacherib of Assyria who is trying to take over and dominate Judah. In fact, he's been bullying everyone around in that area. Israel has already fallen in the north. Judah is remaining standing, but they're weak. They've been fighting battle after battle. They've been paying off bribes to keep people from attacking them, doing what they can to survive one more day. And now, outside the city walls, as the people look out, they see this massive army surrounding the city, of Sennacherib, hundreds of thousands of soldiers standing out there. And can you imagine what that feels like to be trapped? I think you probably could imagine that, right? Like we feel oftentimes surrounded and overwhelmed by the, by the things that are happening in our life, by our relationships, by failures of our, of our own. We, we feel overwhelmed and surrounded as we look out and survey. And that's where, exactly where they were at as well. And so when he's saying, muster your troops, daughter of troops, this is kind of sarcastic here. All right, Micah, Micah's being a little sarcastic here when he's saying this. He's like, listen, the reality is you don't have any troops to muster. You, you've been living this life of trying to solve your own problems. All of your, your soldiers, he calls them a daughter of troops. You're, you're basically a factory of soldiers, turning them out and sending them to fight. Because that's been your solution is to, to be stronger, to win, to pay them off. He's like, so you go, ahead, go on and do that. You go on and muster those troops. There's a siege that's laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel. The judge of Israel is the, you know, is the king. They're, they're humiliating him. And actually, they were. Sennacherib's army was basically shouting up insults while they're standing on the wall about the king, you know, King Hezekiah at that time. He's weak. Can't believe that you would follow him. Can't believe that you guys would, would follow your God. Look at this we God. Have you not seen all the people that we have overrun? Do you know who we are? He's making a mockery of them. What Mike is trying to bring out. There's no matter, there's no strength within these walls. There's no strength within these walls anymore, Jerusalem. And for us, the peace of God is not something that I can muster up within the walls of my own strength. This is the first thing today. It's not something I can muster up within the walls of my own strength. Uh, this is something that has to come from outside. Look what Micah says in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you will come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. The answer, the solution to their salvation was not going to be found within troops, within better battle tactics, 
you know, within uh, having a giant catapult that they could lob, you know, lob heavy things over the walls. Their hope was going to be found in someone that was not even in that particular moment. You see that? They, they might have felt like, hey, that's kind of a... That's kind of a harsh thing to say to bring to our attention, Micah, right now, that someone's going to come later to solve our problems. Like, Micah's trying to bring it to mind, like it's, it's bigger than this moment in time. Right? What you need is not salvation from this enemy as so much as you need salvation. You need peace. And there's going to be a ruler that's coming to deliver that peace. But their first instinct was to jump back into that game of, of trying to fight it and win it on their own. See, we, the reality is we do the exact same thing. That's what that striving speaks to. We get, in, we get in a situation where we feel surrounded. We come up with our own list of solutions. We may do, do God a favor of letting him know about it in prayer and then suggesting how he can fix it, okay? But the reality is, is what are you doing? What am I doing? We're mustering up the troops for war, right? We're getting them dressed in the armor. We're putting the swords on their side. And we're going to send him into battle. I'm, going to try to, I'm trying to fight my way out of this thing. I'm looking within the walls of my own city. I'm looking within my own heart, my own strength. I'm not looking outside. They weren't looking at Bethlehem. What comes out of Bethlehem? What does that mean for us now, Micah? Like we're in the middle of war. Micah, Micah says, peace is coming though. It's not going to come from within my own strength. There's three ways we kind of deal with the reality that we do not have the strength to get it done, one, we remove the problem. All right? We remove the problem. This kind of plays out when we rationalize ejecting ourselves from anything that is a source of contention, whether that is our marriage, whether it's a, a job that we just don't think that I'm appreciated in, so I check out, whether that's in being a, a parent to our kids. It feels uncomfortable. It's not feeding what I want. I don't like having to deal with the tension, so what do I do? I check out. I leave. I remove the problem. We also deal with it by medicating the problem. If I can't get rid of it, maybe at least I can dull the pain a little bit. That's why we find ourselves enslaved to materialism. We lose ourselves in our careers. We seek comfort in physical relationships with people that are not our wives or husbands, and we even find ourselves in abusing substances. What do we do in there? If I don't feel it, I don't have to deal with it, right? That's still looking within the walls of my city. It's like there's got to be a solution that can make this pain go away. That can ease the tension. We remove the problem, we medicate the problem, or this is the one we get to be really good at, we just ignore the problem. Kind of like that holiday party scenario, right? For years, I, I, I maybe in a relationship, I realized there's strife and contention there. But we never talk about it. We just let it go on and act like nothing's happening. You know, I talk to, talk to many folks that have that experience that in their, even in their marriage. You know, there, there's something was hurt. There was something hurtful that happened. And instead of coming to face-to-face to, to figure out how we're going to get through this, they just act like it didn't happen at all. It's like if we don't talk about it, we can act like we have a normal life, then it's just going to go away. But it doesn't go away, does it? It waits until a day further down the road where it pops out. And you're like, where did that come from? It's never at peace. You're ignoring the problem. The thing is, we, 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 remove, we try to remove, we try to medicate, we try to ignore it. We do everything but identify 
the problem that's causing us to not experience peace. And the reality is, is we are the ones that are at war with a holy God. You and I have taken up the weapons of war. We're not trying to make peace with God. Actually, we want to be God in our life. We want him to do our bidding. And when, and when his will pushes up against our will, we take out the weapons. And we're going to fight our way out of this. We're trying to rely on our own strength. But deep down, deep down we know we're outgunned. And right in the middle of that moment, that terror, graciously, a loving God comes and says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, peace is coming. Lay down your weapons. It's not going to come from within your walls. It's going to come through what I do. See, the difference is in our terms of making peace between two fighting entities is both, of, both parties usually have to make concessions, right? It's like, I'll stop doing this if you stop doing this. And you bring terms to the table, and you hope somewhere in the negotiations that you walk off with a plan where it, we can agree, and we can move forward. But in this case, God says, no, if there's going to be true and lasting peace, there's nothing that you can bring to the table to accomplish that. So it's going to cost me everything. And so he brings his son to the table and says, he will be the peace. I'll accept him as peace for you. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, so my favorite verses, while we were sinners, while we were waving the swords, against him in battle. That is when Christ died for us. That moment. We put faith and trust into what Jesus did. As Jesus as our peace, that is when we can begin to understand what peace looks like. It's not peace just within myself and my situations anymore. This is about peace with a holy God and about relating to who he is. And that's where, the, that's where peace will come from that will affect the other things. It's not going to come through trying harder, striving. So let me ask you, what is your default way of dealing with contention, pain, frustration in your life? What's your default way? Are you the, the remove it type? You run out, you know, with the sword ahead, attack it, run it down, overpower it. Are you the medicated type? You find something to take your mind off of it so you don't have to deal with the pain. Or are you just really good at ignoring it? I think many of us are good at that one. There will be no peace in these areas in my life until I'm at peace with God. So are you at peace with God this morning? Are you there this morning? The only way that can happen is if you have put faith and trust into Jesus, who died for you. That's why he came. He came to die. That's how he brought peace, was by taking the violence of God's wrath upon him that was due for me. So that in, in trust, I could put faith into what he did and stand before God and not be under his wrath and not be guilty. Are you at peace with him this morning? The peace of God is not something I can experience looking in the walls of my own strength. The peace of God is also, is number two, is not something I experience when I'm the king of my own kingdom. When I'm the king of my own kingdom. Look again at back, back at verse number two. But you, from, from you will come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth 
is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until that time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This passage is speaking about a king that is coming. I see that the people of Judah had seen many kings come and go in their time. Some of them were okay, some of them were not. Many of them were not. Uh, in, in this case, Hezekiah, he was a good king. And we kind of give him a hard time in this passage uh, for looking within the walls, but the reality is he did get the point you know, further on in the story. And he went to God and he prayed. And then God came out in his strength and killed all the soldiers around the city. He took care of the problem. Why? Because Hezekiah was trusting on his strength. Hezekiah was expecting him to save them, not himself. But the problem is they, they had so many references for bad kings. Their hope was lost in like com someone coming to lead them, that they're being peaced through that. And we do the same thing as well. We, we think, now, you know, stepping aside, the first part kind of speaks to our strength. We look within our strength. This speaks to more about looking in our wisdom. It's like, I should trust my gut. My gut is, is, is a good counselor. No, it's not. Right? My gut gives me really bad advice. Yeah? You guys are laughing. You know it. Um, here's a picture. This, this illustrates a little bit better. I was driving down uh, Silas Creek on Friday, and I noticed a truck had an accident. If it was you, I'm sorry. There was an accident of a, of a, of a truck that was pulling a trailer. Right? This little pickup truck with a, with a trailer on the back. And, um, uh, you know, everything, everybody was okay, but the truck was kind of banged up. It couldn't go anywhere. And so at that same time, I saw a tow truck, you know, backing up towards the truck and the truck being loaded on to the, tr the tow truck. You know what's interesting about tow trucks? Is when you, the tow truck comes, you have a choice in that moment. Do I want them to take my car? Okay, like you, you have that choice. That's your, that's your choice. You called the tow truck, that's your choice. But if you want them to take your car... You've got to let them take the car and load it up onto the tow truck. And then after that's done, you've got to get in the tow truck, and you've got to drive where the tow truck takes you. Okay? You don't get to drive the tow truck. That would be kind of fun. You don't get to do that usually. Or you have to get in the cab, and you have to ride it. And in this guy's case, you know what else he had to do is he had to leave his trailer behind. And that trailer he was, that he was pulling, whatever plans he had for that day were, were done at that point, I guess, right? That tow truck came. He had to submit his plans for the day. He had to leave the trailer behind, and he had to get on the tow truck and let the tow truck take him to get help. That's what he had to do. So it's talking about a, a, a ruler in Israel that's going to come. It's talking about a regime change that's going to happen here. And we can't expect to live in peace if we are trying to be the king of our own lives. If we're trying to set a course in our own wisdom for how I'm going to make it, how I'm going to achieve peace, in my life, how I'm going to solve this problem, because that seems what's best for me, we're just going to run right into, the, into another wreck again. It's like that truck, if like the tow truck came there and the driver was kind of like, well, I don't like your tow truck, so uh, I think I'm just going to try to make it on my own. And he gets back into the wrecked truck and drives down the road, you know, wheels falling off and bumpers falling off and crazy stuff like that. It doesn't work, right? He couldn't also be loaded on the tow truck and then get up in the seat and drive his car while it's on the back of the tow truck either, right? It doesn't work that way. The tow truck's going to rescue me. You have to let go where the tow truck goes. 
Micah's saying here is like, if you want to experience this shalom, this, this peace that this new king is bringing, he has to be your king. He can't just be an association that you have. What kings do you know that are okay with just kind of having a casual relationship with their subjects? Oh, you don't want to do that? Well, that's all right. Oh, you, don't like my, you didn't like that decree that I made? Well, I'll tell you what, for you, it's not that you, can, you don't have to do that. Right? No, not usually. That's not usually how it works, right? What the king says, you do. Or there, there could be repercussions for that, right? But we do, the, we do this all the time. We, we want, to be, want to know Jesus, want to know about him. He, he, he makes us feel good. He's someone I can talk to. He loves me. Those are all true things. But when we get to that standpoint of letting him get into the driver's seat and take this where he wants to take it, that makes me feel a little bit less comfortable. It's like, well, Jesus, I don't, I don't know how that's going to bring peace to, to trust you, to wait for your timing, Jesus. Like, this needs to happen now. You don't think that the, the people in Micah's time wanted the solution to happen right away when they wanted it? You think they enjoyed being surrounded by the people? No, they didn't. Like, how in the world are we going to get out of this? This king is, is calling us to trust him, to let him be the king in our life. He's, he rules all of Israel, it says in verse 2. He's, unifying, he's coming to unify and restore what was broken. He'll stand and shepherd them in strength. That's a promise of care and provision and protection. He's coming in the majesty of the Lord. Why? Because he is the Lord. He has his authority. He has his power. And the promise is one day, in verse 4, that his name will be great in all the earth. Jesus will be known. That part hasn't completely happened yet, has it? This is that weird crossover where some of this we can experience and we see. But there's a part yet to come as well, a part that we look forward to. We look around and we don't see peace in the world that's around us. But we know that that is promised under this new king, under his rule. It says they will dwell secure. Isn't that a pleasant thought? I can, that I can dwell secure. I'm, have to living, I'm living under the threat of, of someone trying to take me out. I'm living under the threat of, of broken relationships being a permanent thing. But that there will be a new thing. There can't be two kings, though, on the throne in that kingdom. It's going to be either me or it is Jesus. What does it mean to, to let Jesus be the king? What does it mean to let him be king? Well, first it means letting him fight my battles. It means I lay down my solutions. I put away the striving. You know, that feels so natural to me. You know, I, I don't know about you. I, I, you probably didn't do this. But when I was in college, I took martial arts. It was kind of a fun little hobby I did. Okay? Um, and I enjoyed that for a couple of things. It was a good exercise. You know, but it was also just kind of fun. I can, I can defend myself. You know, I can do cool flips and roll over the place. You know, that's really cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I also just kind of like this idea of like, if, you know, if someone's going to tap me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of it, you know. I can, I can defend myself. You like that little spring in the step? But you know what gave me a reality check? Is the very first time I went to, well, we used to call them fight nights. It's kind of funny. But it was sort of like a, like a sparring night that we would have with other schools. The very first time I went to fight night, and you have to understand, like, I, I trained with a lot of, like, ex-Marines. I was not an ex-Marine, um, so they're a little, 
bigger and more aggressive, uh, generally speaking, than I am. Um, so I'm, I'm fighting this guy, and I'm a very new student. I'm not sure exactly why I was paired up with him, honestly. Um, but I was so confident in that moment of this is how this fight was going to go. Like, I'd seen all the Bruce Lee movies, and so I planted out in my mind the choreography of someone flying, and this guy's, you know, this, I'm going to do this amazing kick, and it's going to be awesome. And I go out there, and I put up my, my fists, and within just like the first probably two seconds, I mean, it's, it seemed like, I seemed like I got so much more done in that two seconds than I did. That first two seconds, you know what happened? I got punched right in the face. And that was very unsettling. <laughs> you ever been punched in the face before? Yeah? I won't ask you to raise your hands. The reality is I felt super confident in my abilities and my wisdom, and I had it all planned out, and it seemed like I had things under control. I had practiced. I had studied. You know, I had a little belt to show my progress. I don't remember what I was then. But when I got hit in the face... Instantly in that moment, I knew I had bit off more than I could chew. Submission means letting Jesus fight my battles. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the ability to muster that up within me. I need to let him lead in that, in the way that he can win. Hezekiah didn't have the ability to win with the soldiers that were inside the city. God came and he killed them all in his strength and power. Why? Because Hezekiah let him be the king. He got out of the way. Submission means letting him provide for me in his ways. And submission means obeying his commands. Either he's the king or I'm the king. We both can't sit on the throne, but there's not going to be any peace when King Mark is on the throne. Peace is found in that submission to a new king. Where are you trying to rule your own kingdom today? What are the areas that you are just grabbing onto with everything you can to protect yourself? In your own strength, in your own wisdom, I can make myself get out of this. I can save myself in this situation. I can fix this. Are you being led by a new king? Are you being the king in that? Peace doesn't come through strength, my strength. It doesn't come through me sitting on the throne. It comes through a Savior. This is the last kind of point today. The peace of God is not a fleeting sentiment, but it's a blessed confidence. This is the peace that is for me now. That shalom, that full completeness of what it's going to look like someday when Jesus rules and reigns on this earth and we, those that, that know him and have a relationship but faith in him, we will rule and reign with him and it's going to be an amazing time. Now, Isaiah goes into great detail about the kingdom, how the lion will lay down with the lamb, how the young child will put his hand into the hole of the snake and will not be bitten. That's just a visual illustration of how everything that could possibly contribute to conflict is removed. That time is coming. But now, now I have peace. That's a confidence. It's a blessed confidence in his promises. See, peace isn't about activity, right? It's about rest. It's about rest. They'll dwell secure, last part of verse 4, for he will be great to the ends of the earth. And this phrase, which you should underline, is he shall be their peace. He will be the peace. Not going to make them feel peaceful. He will be their peace. 
He will embody peace. That's why I can rest in Christ, what he has done, because sin is defeated. It's about security in him because I know that I am loved without a shadow of a doubt. I know I'm loved by God. And I know because Jesus' sacrifice was accepted that I am free from the penalty of my sin and death. And I don't have to live that way anymore. It's about permanence because my peace is tied not to my performance, but to a person. That person is living. And he's ruling and he's reigning. And someday he will return And he will bring with him the fullness of what it means to see shalom, that peace. He will be their peace now and forever. We just read a few weeks ago, we were in the book of Romans, and I just loved verse number 35. It's a simple question, but not a simple question. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. There's nothing that could take that away. From us. There's nothing that could rob us of that reality if we have put faith into him. But if I know this, and if you know this, then why do we keep striving to save our own selves? That's the question we've got to come back to. I want to answer this real quickly. How does my striving keep me from experiencing the peace that is promised to me now in Christ? The peace that I can experience now, that blessed confidence. How does my striving keep me from experiencing this? There's three quick things. First, my striving betrays my blindness to the battlefield. It betrays my blindness to the battlefield. What do I mean by that? It's very short-sighted. Right? It's just like the, the people of Judah standing on the walls and looking down and saying, oh man, we're going to die. Look at all those soldiers. Look at their horses. There's no solution to this problem. We have that same approach. We're kind of like, oh, what am I supposed to do about that? I didn't know that this was going to come into my life this week. I don't have a framework for understanding what I should do. You know, when you have those, those surprise moments where there's a health problem in your family, that was shocking news that you didn't expect. When there was a, a bill or some financial difficulty that happened. When there was a, a death in the family, someone very close that you love, and you're just kind of like, this is too much. What are you doing in that moment? You're, you're, being, you're blinded to the reality of the battlefield. The war is over. Death is defeated. Sin is defeated. We've won. We've already won the battle. Why are we looking around on the battlefield? It's already done. He's coming back. He's making all things new. What am I doing in that? I'm letting the cares of this world blind me from the beauty and the reality that I have in Christ. I'm blind to the battlefield. But secondly, my striving exposes... My substitution of shalom for a ceasefire. My substitution of shalom, that completeness for a ceasefire. You know what a ceasefire is, right? Like it's a break in the fighting. Uh, I heard this, this story. It's documented in, in journals. They've got diaries of soldiers from the Great War, World War I. Uh, back in uh, the year 1914, that, that first kind of Christmas that they had, there were five months into the war at that point. Uh, there were uh, over a million people that had already died. Terrible Terrible, terrible war. And, and in that moment, uh, on Christmas Eve, something amazing happened, though. It wasn't universal across the, the lines, but on the front, there were groups of German soldiers and British soldiers and French soldiers singing Christmas carols to each other at nighttime while the firing had stopped. And then it goes on further to say that that next morning on Christmas Day, that they bravely, some of them got out of the trenches 
and walked across the, the no man's zone, you know, land, kind of in the middle there. And they shook hands, you know. They wished each other Merry Christmas. They exchanged gifts, you know, chocolates, cigarettes, that kind of stuff. There's even, there's even one account that someone, they started a game of soccer, played it right there in the middle of the battle zone. You hear that, it's like, wow, that's so cool, right? You know, humanity, right? Right there in the middle of all the conflict. Yeah, but you know what? On December 26th, they got the guns back out. And they went right back at it again. Why? There's no peace there. There's a ceasefire. See, a lot of times you and I are like, God, if you would just fix this thing, then all the rest of the stuff would fall into place. That's settling for a ceasefire. That's not saying even so come, Lord Jesus. Bring shalom to the situation. Give me the confidence to trust you, that you know best for me. But my striving finally reveals my priority of preservation over restoration. If we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes we don't, we don't really want to submit to the king to make us new, to bring that shalom. We want to keep things the way that we have them because we like our little kingdom. And we're comfortable in that. It's impossible, though, to be led by Christ and, and not to be affected by him, though. That's the encouraging part for us. So today, if you're experiencing unrest in some area, and I guarantee probably every person in this room is, and we bring that with us. Could it be that you're refusing to be led? Let's ask that question. Do you need to submit your will to his leadership as king? Do you need to rest securely in his promise that the war is over? You need to find life in experiencing that peace and resting what Christ already done for you. Jesus' own words, he said, come to me all you are, who are heavy laden and I will give you what? Rest. He didn't come to die for you, to save you from your sins so that you and I could go out and strive to save ourselves. I experienced peace of God when I'm satisfied with my Savior, not when I'm striving for my own security. So this holiday season, you often hear it say, Jesus is the reason for the season. There's bumper stickers for that, right? True statement, he is. Not taken away from that at all. But he's also the reason for my ceasing. So he's the reason that I can put down my weapons of war. I can look accurately on the battlefield of this life that I'm in and say the battle is won. I've come out on the other side because of my King, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ.